0: Welcome to More to Come, Publishers Weekly's weekly podcast about comics and graphic novels. I'm Heidi McDonald, the graphic novel review editor of Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Check us out on all social media at at P.W. Comics World. Well, today we are not with a graphic novelist. We are with a novelist, uh, Bob Prohl. Now, I hope I just said your name right, Bob. Yes. <laughs> I nailed it first time. Um and uh Bob, you have a new book out. It just launched, right? This week. Uh
1: it's called yeah, it's Tuesday.
0: Yeah, Tuesday. All right. It's called A hundred thousand Worlds. And uh it's um it's the book about Comic Cons, right? It's it's set in the world of Comic Cons that we talk about so much here on More to Come uh, you know, but usually we talk about square footage of convention centers and um, you know badge systems and all that. But but your book takes another kind of a different look at the world of comic cons. So, so uh, yeah, what 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 is what is uh, hundred thousand worlds about?
1: It's about a uh, a single mother who is a former cult television actress, and she and her nine year old son are traveling cross country, and she's making appearances at a series of comic cons. So it's a little more, it, it's using Comic-Cons as sort of a backdrop, mm-hmm. um, but it's really this sort of, this mother and son story at, at the heart of it.
0: Right. And and it also, uh, I mean, for those who do know the comics industry, um, I think they'll find quite a few little Easter eggs in there because, I don't know, would you call it a Romanoclef or um, inspired by? I don't know, how would you describe the the the. the, the, the Attack you take
1: yeah i mean there's certainly a lot of a lot of easter eggs and a lot of a lot of analogs i mean i'm i'm a huge comic book fan and have been since i was like in my teens um and i have gone i've been a regular at, at new york city comic-con which is sort of the nearest big one to me um for for a number of years and and so i really I, i've wanted for a while to write a, a novel that was set in that mm-hmm. in that environment of the cons and it, it's you know, to some degree it's a, a sort of a simplified and somewhat idealized version of the conventions but um, but there's something so great about being in a, like in an immersive fan environment uh-huh. uh, and being around that kind of enthusiasm and I really wanted to to put that in a novel and I really wanted to portray fandom in a different way than than the way it seems to be portrayed in like in general media like I wanted to get away from the big bang theory portrayal <laughs> of, of fan culture because that's not it's never been true to my experience of it it's not really true to the experience of anyone that I know um and it's just it, it's so self-loathing Right, uh, and it's to have to see a self-loathing portrayal of a culture that's actually very self-celebratory is uh is disappointing so I kind of wanted to to work against the the current of that. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, now let's talk, I mean, so how old were you when you went to your first Comic-Con?
1: Well, I used to go to, I grew up in Buffalo, and I used to go to uh, comic shows, Mm -hmm. you know, for like, in the hallways of suburban malls and in Holiday Inn uh, ballrooms and stuff like that. And like, sometimes there would be guests, but mostly it was, you would go because there were dealers there and you could get, you could fill in your, your back issue collection. Um, and I, I worked for a dealer one summer when I was a kid, just like carrying boxes around and uh, to shows. So I didn't start going to like cons at the at the scale that they're at now until like probably my late twenties.
0: Right.
1: And it was um, I was going to New York City Comic Con uh, as a representative of the bookstore that I worked at, as the graphic novel buyer there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was, you know, it, it had changed. <laughs> it had changed so much since. Well, I mean, obviously being in New York City is a little different than being in the suburbs of Buffalo.
0: Right, so, right.
1: Yeah. I, I think the culture of, of conventions definitely changed from like what it was like in the mid-90s to what it was like 10 years later.
0: Um, yeah, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because my history with conventions is, is pretty much the same, although I'm sure it happened long before you were even born. But um, I I was, uh, you know, I used to go to shows in in New York City that were pretty much the same, you know, they were dingy, uh, below ground, you know, hotel basement shows, long boxes, and um, uh, yeah, it was a dingy world of of back issues, Um, but (laughs) it did have its, it had its... You know, I, I mean, I was one of the only girls, so, I mean, if no. I really stood out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was very similar for me. I didn't have friends growing up who were into comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so going to those shows was the only time that you could even speak that language, you know, that you could talk about the X-Men or anything.
0: Right, right.
1: Because, um, again, this is, like, I'm for myself, I'm talking about, like, the early and mid-90s, and there wasn't that – it hadn't hit that – superheroes hadn't hit the sort of cultural ubiquity point that they are now. And, and yeah, th- this was, like, the only place that I could go to talk to people who were into the same s- stuff that I was. Right.
0: Well, you paint – it's, it, you know, a very um, – it's a very warm view of Comic-Cons. So, uh, you know, certainly not a cynical view of them at all. And you kind of do – in the novel, you definitely talk a lot about um, – you know, you can kind of bring that sense of camaraderie. But, but also um, – I mean, you know now people go to you, you know, yesterday New York Comic Con tickets went on sale and it was like, you know, I didn't get in. I you know, it was like the Olympic trials, you know. Yeah, <laughs> except except you couldn't even run fast enough, you know. There was it was really just sort of random, I guess. Um but but I I mean there is kind of I don't want to say vision quest. I mean there's kind of a little bit of a vision quest maybe in your novel a little bit. I mean, you play a lot with storytelling. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling now. Let me, let, let me try to focus this on a question. How did you get, how did you get the germ of the idea about, about, you know, going from these dingy basements to making it kind of this more, uh, you know, intense quest kind of a setting for, for the, the heroine is Valerie Torrey. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about her in the next question, but, but how did you, you know, how did you develop that whole idea?
1: Uh, the book really quickly took on the form of of a road trip novel, um, of a travel log, and you know narratively, there's something really great about that structure because if you you know if you can tell the reader we're going from here to there, like there's a there's a sense literally and figuratively of movement and and of an endpoint and a teleology and and um, and because Khan's season is structured the way that uh, that it is, it was plausible to you know. That they would be able to do something like this, Um, so it's just—it was a really good sort of narrative skeleton to hang things on. Um, Was this sense of moving west, and you have ideas of like leaving and return, and um, so yeah, that was that was pretty early in the uh, in the idea coming together was that it was going to be travel oriented.
0: Right, right. Now, but but I mean, you also. So, so just to, to kind of set the scene a little bit, uh, you, you know, the main characters are Valerie, Tori, and her son Alex. And, um, you know, Valerie is uh, what I would call a nerd liberty. She is the star of a TV show, a beloved fan favorite TV show, uh, that hasn't been on the air for a while. And she's doing the 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 nerd liberty appearance tour. So, you know, which to me was, <laughs> uh, you know, I I I was, you know, found a. a um, yeah, very cool. A very cool story element. Let's put it that way, because because so often we do wonder, you know, what is going through their minds as they sit there at this table, you know, right. and uh, you know her whole. Uh, it's based. On, is it fair to say it's based on the X Files?
1: Oh, it's completely fair to say. It, yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh but yeah. Oh, go some on. The I'm sorry.
1: in the book are a little. Some of the the analogs in the book are a little more. Uh, a little less direct, but yeah, the show that she is on is is clearly. I would say it's like based on the X Files and Fringe, but that's probably repetitive.
0: Right. Well.
1: Uh, oh, go on. But you know, part of what that enables you to do is that she's someone who's like both in and out of that fan culture. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not. Uh, there are some of the characters in the book who are creators who are active uh, in in making comic books and stuff, but she's able to sort of operate in this middle space where she can. She's part of it, but she's outside enough that she can look at it in a way that's a little more critical
0: right and she you know she also interacts quite a bit with the fans and and you know that that is uh some of the incidents of in the book show just how fraught that can be actually but uh and you know dangerous it kind of you know uh spans the gamut but um to, but basically also just I, another thing I really liked about it was that you sort of did the fanfic thing in a cool way in that uh in the the TV show that Valerie is on her and uh the guy who plays the Mulder character actually do have a real life relationship and and you know have a child so you know it kind of takes some of those those fanfic tropes and plays them out a little bit
1: oh yeah definitely um yeah and and a lot of that was just kind of fun for me but it, it also um you know, it, it served as a good sort of core plot and, and having a show with all these kind of ideas about time travel um, and having a character use that to reflect on like the experience of being of parenting a small child, uh, those paired really nicely together.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely i mean there's a lot of different levels to the book and uh but you know you you definitely have a lot of the con experience from BarCon. there's BarCon intrigue and uh you know freelancers fretting about whether they're going to get work at the companies and uh you know very realistic true-to-life stuff <laughs> all right now have you i mean are you a BarCon observer yourself or
1: yeah yeah i'm uh I'm I'm pretty introverted, so yeah, I've 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 done some lurking <laughs> and uh and I you know I but at the same time I, I've gone to cons and talked to talked to writers and talked to artists uh as I was working on this book and um you know I was really one of the things I was really interested in is the, the economics of the industry and like how you how you make a living at it and uh and that's you know uh brett one of the other main characters in the book who's in his late 20s is at that point where he's like well i'm doing this thing but i'm not making a lot of money at it and what do i you know is it time to to cut bait and um and that that grew out of you know thinking about the for myself the economics of like continuing to write or you know just saying like no i have my day job and that's that's who i am and you know, the, the kind of things that you fret yeah, right. over and continue to fret over.
0: Well, you know, it's it, it's interesting because I've often noted that in comics, it really is kind of self, uh, self-determined. You know, like if you say, I want to be a cartoonist, literally all you have to do is go get Tumblr or something, and you put up some cartoons, and you're a cartoonist. It's not quite that easy with being a novelist, is it?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are people who go the self-publishing route and, uh, and really like pound pavement and, um, and work to get their work out there. Um, you know, people who spend easily as much time doing promotion as they do doing the work. And, and, you know, sometimes that works out for folks. And I just, I got very, very lucky with this book that it, uh, it found a home at, at Viking, like a really great supportive publisher. Um, but you know before that I was just I was working on working on books after work you know after my day job and after the kid went to sleep and uh and and then you know it's only got to work once like if it if at some point you you get a little bit of success at it and you know, so now I'm At least attempting to make a go of it.
0: Uh, Right, right. Well, now you had, you worked at a bookstore for a long time, right? As you were saying before. Uh, So, I I, I mean, did you, did you write um, short stories? I mean, how, you know, what other, you know, what was your path to publish novelist? For some of our listeners who wish to take the same path.
1: (laughs) Well, um, <laughs> I had a I had a nonfiction book that was published through an academic press. This sort of been like seven years ago um, of music journalism, and that was out of an open call. Um, it was a book series that did an open call for proposals every couple of years, and um, and then I had I had a book that I wrote that I shopped around for like a year and never found an agent for. Um, and that's still, that will probably sit in a drawer forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's horribly dated right now. Right. Same. Um, and then, you know, you just, you like submit to fellowships and you submit to residencies and you submit chapters to journals. And, you know, even, even if you're not self-publishing, like a, a portion of your, your work time is, is dedicated to just trying to get stuff out there. Right. And I started to get a little traction with this, um, with what was the beginning of this book um where I I got the uh, fellowship from the New York Foundation for the Arts and that let me get started on it and then the following year I got a a residency which is where I ended up writing the the first draft uh was that like a month-long artist residency oh wow Um, and then uh basically what I had sort of first like a sketchy first draft in hand and um my wife sat me down and said, if you want to do this, take a year and we will, we will scrape by. And, um, so I left, I left my job at the bookstore and I worked on rewrites for, for quite a bit and then, uh, started putting the book out there and, and very quickly, uh, as opposed to the, the year or two of, of non-success with the other one, very quickly this one got, got picked up.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and your your agent actually is um who first called the book to my attention he was relentless by the way I just want to tell you what a you know good agent he had said Heidi you must read this book you must read this book and uh I am you know I write about comics and you know podcasts and turn chatter it's like I very rarely have time to sit down and read a prose book but I was so intrigued I I luckily I went on a trip myself I was on a bus ride to a con so I had a good good spot to read it but um but uh you know, Seth also I mean he handles uh quite a few cartoonists as well. So, you know, he was yeah. very well versed in, in that world. So
1: Yeah, I, I mean I think that's he he was he's been such a great advocate for this book and I think that's partially just because of the nature of the person that he is, but partially just um the people that he's working with. Mm-hmm. He sort of knows the literary fiction world and knows the, the comic book world really well. Yeah.
0: yeah. Now, do you think you have you gotten a lot of attention uh for for the book uh from you know the comics contingent the uh, comics world
1: not a lot I, I think for the same reason like everybody's everybody's busy mm, yeah <laughs> um and we've been we've been putting it out there now you know we we got the hardcovers like just a couple weeks before publication and have been sending them out to to people and and um you know and reading uh I'm actually in Philadelphia right now to read it at Malcolm Comics this evening. It'll be the first out-of-town uh, reading for the book, and I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con in a couple weeks. Ah,
0: okay. Well, there you go. Uh, so, Have you been before?
1: No, I have not. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: the climax of the book takes place in Hall H. I hope that's not too much of a spoiler. <laughs> no. Uh, are you hoping I, to go to Hall H yourself?
1: I have to sort of look at what... Um, how much stuff my publisher has me scheduled for and see if I have see where I have time to actually, <laughs> to actually get around the, the convention. Um, this will be my fifth convention this year. Um, and all the other ones my schedule has been pretty sparse, but now the book's finally out. So like, I've got a bunch of things that I need to be at. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I have to, I have to sort of look at the schedule and see if there's anything that, that is worth, uh, standing in line for
0: <laughs> right uh so how so you've been doing kind of the little bit of the con circuit yourself this year how's that been yeah.
1: it's been uh it's been interesting it's been you know um like all I, I was at emerald city and i was at c2e2 and then i was at comics comic palooza mm-hmm. in houston uh a week or so ago which is why i still sound a little froggy mm-hmm. uh I, I did not follow my own advice on like vitamin C and hand sanitizer and stuff and came back with concred. But um it's been it's been great, although it's weird to be out to be a sort of unknown quantity and and promoting a book that's not out in the world yet. So I'm I'm really I'm looking forward to being at San Diego uh just because I've never been, but also because it's the first one of these that I'll be doing with an actual like right. book. <laughs> Right. You know, I was uh, in Seattle. I was on a panel with uh, Patrick Rothbus and Sean McGuire, and I'm just kind of sitting there, like, "Yeah, nobody in this room is here."
0: <laughs> well, now give it time. I'm sure this podcast will, you know, vault you to the top. <laughs> um, but do, now, were you ever, were you ever tempted, and uh, you know, coming, from being? From the comics world myself, um, I don't, uh, I want to put this in a way that doesn't sound pejorative. But as I said before, there is a very low barrier to entry to comics. And did you ever, were you ever tempted to kind of uh, use that leapfrogging by, um, you know, trying to write comics and to to kind of, you know, use that as a springboard uh, as a writer? Or
1: I, uh, it's not a path that I really considered until this book was sort of, in the, you know, in the publication mechanism, like, I would love to do some comics work. Um, although I, I have to acknowledge within that, that, like the technical constraints of writing comics are, are terrifying, um, but kind of exciting. Right. Um, it's also, I'm, I'm not a super visual writer, so trying to switch my thinking to a visual medium would be uh, like for this book we have. Did Seth send you a hardcover? Yes, yes. Okay, good. Um, so we have end papers by Isad Ribic, and I had to describe this scene for him mm-hmm. um, in ways that were You know, in ways that were actually like visually appropriate, and it was the like, hardest thing um, to do to switch to that way of thinking rather than like just hearing the words in your head.
0: Hi, huh, inter- oh. interesting. They're they're beautiful m papers, by the way. I, I saw it. the book is, itself is is uh, gorgeous. So, um, you know, well spotted on that. Yeah, it really is. I mean, in the book, you you definitely go, you know, you talk a lot about the internal, internal, you know, emotions and and you know, write very evocatively about that. Um, but yeah, writing that kind of visual action is is definitely a different skill that I, as, you know, so it's it's two different things.
1: Yeah, I think if I could like sub in as like Chris Claremont in like late eighties X Men, then that kind of emotional exposition is you know is a little more warranted. But failing that, it might be a tough tough leap for me.
0: Right now, um, now you were uh, a graphic novel buyer at the at the bookstore. Now, well, how, when were you when were you doing this? When was what period of?
1: Uh, hmm, uh, let's see, I left there two years ago, so probably like 2009 to 2013 or 4. Ah, okay. And it was kind of by default, you know, I live in a I live in a small town and our our bookstore is down the street from a comic book store, so we kind of like we tried to stay off of off of their toes as much as we could. Um and and also this is maybe a little too inside baseball, but um for bookstores, sometimes buying graphic novels if you're doing it in small quantities can be rather arduous. Mm-hmm. Uh you're dealing with you're dealing with diamond and they are not always the the best. Right. <laughs> and, uh and I have been told that it's getting better. Um, but we would regularly like get the wrong shipment or we would get short ships, <laughs> or we would get double billed, and um and it really it made it difficult to Convinced the the manager that it was a that it was a worthwhile to keep the to keep that section sort of vibrant. Um,
0: yeah, well, so this was a, an indie bookstore in a.
1: Yeah, it's an independent bookstore in a in a college town. So. Right.
0: So, I mean, was there uh was there an audience for graphic novels though? I mean, did you see the audience growing or? Yeah, were the, the the difficulties in keeping material going? You know, did that make it harder?
1: Uh, it was a pretty centrist audience, I think. You know, like if we if I tried to bring in stranger stuff, it didn't. Like we would we would move we would sell through some you know some of the bigger image titles and um, some Vertigo stuff and the occasional Dark Horse book. And and then like uh, you know first second um, was always a big sell a lot of YA, the YA graphic novels sell sold really well and continue to sell really well, um, but I remember you know like stocking up on like Dash Shaw or um, Duncan the Wonder Dog and like and and then they just sit, you know?
0: yeah it's a little bit of a tough sell huh yeah yeah interesting well you know it's it's it, i don't know if you've ever listened to our podcast but i mean you know we talk about this kinda of thing <clears throat> you know all the time really and you know it's funny you mentioned Dunkin' the wonder dog because uh you know that's a book uh calvin reed who normally does this podcast uh, uh you know he he loved that book we and we champion that book quite a bit at at pw but um you know it doesn't always uh doesn't always translate uh to finding <laughs> an actual audience <laughs> yeah um although i i do feel i do feel there is a you know it's it's a small bunch but i do feel there's there is a small group of of you know comic graphic novel readers who are really um you know they're really devoted to finding new frontiers of of where the media could go i guess you know and yeah. they, they really want to be challenged
1: yeah, you know what was what was interesting working at the bookstore was um you know we sold course books for the college and a lot of the younger professors, a lot of the like adjunct professors or like, MFA students who were teaching writing courses would be they would be be assigning like interesting graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um that then you know we'd keep a couple extras around and never sell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, was there any so, so mostly YA books that were that were hits?
1: for for that bookstore and graphic novels yeah yeah why why graphic novels yeah.
0: Rena Telgemeier, that kind of thing
1: oh my god my uh my thirteen year old stepson just got all of the uh babysitters club and he's just been reading them obsessively really, yeah,
0: yeah. we just mentioned i just had a, a, a thing on my website today that uh ghosts, which is Raina's new book has like a half a million uh first print printing, so you oh. know. That's planting a flag, really. <laughs>
1: and is that you left? Is that it Scholastic or Abrams? It's at
0: Scholastic. Yeah. It's Scholastic. Yeah, it's at Scholastic. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 um, it's it's all moving forward. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I have heard. I mean, I think the the logline that a lot of people use for this book is um, it's Cavalier and Clay for Comic Cons. Um, and uh, you know, I think I mean, there's just so much interest now from i mean everybody knows what a comic con is just like right. they know what a circus is
1: <laughs> right which which wasn't true i'm going to say even like 7 years ago no not at all you know the, the uh, speed at which it's become um part of the public consciousness is really amazing i don't think i don't think 5 years ago that anyone would go just to go right you know and now there are people that are clearly like there to be at a comic con because they want to find out what it's about, as opposed to there because they're like way into kaiju or, um, or whatever.
0: Yeah, c- cosplay. Uh, you you have um uh, you have kind of a uh, some ca- characters in there who are cosplayers actually who are part of the this kind of um, you know traveling circus really. Uh, Of that, and uh, I guess they're you know that was that so they're professional cosplayers. I mean, was this something you also did research on for the book, or Uh,
1: a little bit? I mean, that I I gave myself a little leeway because I really just wanted to have like a Greek chorus of of women in superhero costumes.
0: (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: But I wanted to do the like the actual traditional Greek chorus thing, which is to comment on. sort of the moral and ethical issues that are raised by by the narrative so i'm like well what are the ways that i can get around the fact that i just want to like talk about feminism in comics a whole lot um how how can i make that engaging for a reader and uh and so i have this this chorus um yeah as far as like i I did a little bit of research on professional cosplaying these ones the ones in the book are are sort of hired by the con, which is not really so much a thing. Um, thankfully, you know, right. 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 You know, it, 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 in the book, it, it harkens back a little to booth babes, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, are, are sort of a, a weird artifact of, a, right. of a different demographic moment for conventions. Um, and, uh, so, but I, I just kept that device as a way to sort of not to have them together and keep the same characters together.
0: Right. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I was, as I read it, I was like, wait a minute, the cons play the cosplayers. And I was like, I don't know about that. I, like, I better go, you know, is this a thing? And, you know, it's, it's, I, it's a little bit more of a, okay. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah. No,
1: no, that's not a- <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not a secret of that that I discovered in the. Uh, so, uh, well, it was a narrative easy out.
0: Well, you're allowed. You're allowed a few things. You know, if this is a novel. It's fiction.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: you know, let me. This is something I've. This is one of my own little um, fields of study that I have, and um, I, it, I do just targeting back. I guess this little bit of what i just said it's like if you i i do find that comics people tend also to band together with comics people like if you you know that's why BarCon is a huge thing it's like at the end of the day comics people love to hang out with other comics people um you know have a drink and even though there are tribes i have noticed that if you know it's a very small show and there's only a few comics, people they will even if they're from different tribes, they will actually still try to see if they can hang out together. You know, and uh, and I've never seen. I mean, this doesn't happen with lawyers. It doesn't happen with doctors. It doesn't even happen with novelists. You know, I mean, if you go to a bar and or somewhere and someone says, uh, "Oh, I'm a novelist too," you, you don't immediately want to hang out with them, right?
1: No, I actually, move <laughs> together at the bar.
0: <laughs> What's
1: that? actually move to the other end of well, the
0: bar. right whereas
1: we're like blue jays we'd like need a, a certain radius from other novelists um yeah I you know there's a weird thing about comics where like even the ability to talk about them is not as to talk about them in a way that is at all savvy is not culturally universal the way like if I go to a movie with anybody, I can have a conversation with them that is not just about the narrative of the movie, that is about like things like cinematography and tone and, and soundtracking and all that kind of stuff. Right. And that's, like, that's a pretty universal language. We can talk about movies um, at a number of levels. Uh, with, with comics, that's a learned thing. You know, if I give a friend of mine who's not a comic book reader any kind of comic book they might come away able to talk about the narrative, but like without, you know, unless I also give them understanding comics and, you know, or, or talk to them about certain uh, like aesthetic things in comics, um, that's not a language that we're going to share. Mm-hmm. And um, and that can be really difficult. So I, like, that's one of the things I really like about cons is like that assumed shared language among other comics fans, that we're all co- sort of coming in on this, at least with a base knowledge of, of some of the technical stuff and, and some of the history.
0: Interesting. You're, you're a, That's a really good point. And it's not because people don't, you know, read comics. I mean, you know, obviously movies have huge viewerships. But, <clears throat> pardon me. But just about everyone has read a, co- a comic, even if it's a comic strip, you know, whether it's Peanuts or The Far Side or... Um, you know, pearls before swine, or Saturday morning breakfast cereal. I mean, everybody's read a comic at some point, and but but the, but the, the you're absolutely right that the critical language about it isn't isn't common. You know, it isn't well known.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why I'm always like when when people hand out Watchmen as like your you know as an intro to comics, like, that's a terrible idea. That's like giving somebody Ulysses when they've never read a novel. Right, so right. It's not, and that's not a, a qualitative comparison. That's the fact that like. Watchmen is an intensely technical book, right? Um, and a lot of what's going on has to do with the language of the visual language of comics. And then you give it to somebody—I I mean, along with a critique of superhero stuff—and if you give it to somebody with no background in that, like, it's kind of elo- illegible or just miserable.
0: Right, right. But you know, a lot of a lot of people do power on through. You know, right. they power on through Watchmen. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I do attribute that to the nine panel grid. I think if it hadn't been presented in this very, um, if, you know, filtered through a lens that was very easy to comprehend, um, you know, if it was done in some kind of crazy Prometheus style, no way.
1: Right. No, it's not, it's not, it doesn't present itself immediately as being experimental. Um, but a lot of, to me at least what's, interesting you know If I, in the rare instance that I go back to Watchmen at any point what's interesting is um, the sort of collaboration and what's going on at a a technical level
0: right well you know I think people forget uh, I I did a a Watchmen reread uh, after having read it out in periodical format when it first came out because I'm so old Uh, but when I reread it I mean of course you know at the time it was a famous deconstruction of the comics uh you know the superhero industry but but it also has great characters and vivid set pieces and (laughs) you know so uh you know hopefully people people but yeah you're right it's it's not not what any of us would pick as like oh yeah this is the book you should get into this with um yeah so, uh, so what's, what's uh, you know, I, I always hate it at the end, uh, you know, towards the end of interviews when someone has just launched this project that they've been working on for years and you always have to ask, yeah, what's next for you? You know, what's coming uh, up?
1: You know, uh, the secret of, of publishing is that things work really slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this book, um, you know, we sold this book two years ago. And I haven't uh, I haven't worked on it in probably a year. I think we over over a year because we finished the. Our, my editor and I settled on a draft just before my daughter was born, and she's now fifteen months. Um, so I'm yeah I'm like finishing up another book at the moment, um, which is something very different. Um, it's it's a historical. It's not it's not as much fun or it's not fun in the same kind of way. It's a little, it's a little more dark and, um, and it's, it's weird because it was also that it got started for this one sold. So this might be the last, the last book I get to write without thinking quite so much about, uh, audience and marketing and all the fun terms that I've been introduced to over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one is still like, has a bit of, uh, amateur zeal to it. Um, but it, it takes up a lot of the same kind of issues and it's about, um, it's about subcultures and it's about education. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's different and, uh, I'm sort of hoping to finish it up in the next well, in theory, in the next month or so, but I'm, I'm traveling a lot for this book right now. Yeah. So, uh, so hopefully by the end of the summer. Yeah,
0: well, just, uh, you know, give yourself for like about a month to recover from San Diego, uh, if you're like most <laughs> of the people I know. um, Do you th- do you think that, though, do you think that, that, um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, with like how BookCon, you know, they're making more BookCons, and, you know, obviously there are literary festivals. And, you know, I see the world of of comic cons and literary festivals really getting closer and closer together i mean so many more authors are going to comic cons and you know obviously graphic novels are are now part of the book world so i mean do you think that going to comic cons is a good way to to kind of promote yourself as a novelist or
1: this book yeah and i think for a lot of books and, and probably for books that where the authors might not suspect that that's where their audience lies yeah um i i think there's a lot of overlap. Um, you know, you're still dealing with readers. It's, you know, I, I'm sure there are comic book readers who don't read anything without pictures in it, but most of them are probably open to um, to, to straight words. Um, and I, I think some of the conventions are working to to build up a literary component. Um, you know, I was at Comic Palooza and, and talking to their. Uh, they have a specific coordinator for their literary track and they had I think like 10 hours of literary programming over the course of the weekend and are looking to expand that and uh, it's it's great and and I think largely right now it's directed at, at genre authors um, which which I'm not <laughs> so Sorry. I end up on, on panels of like how to craft characters for fantasy and sci-fi I'm like <laughs> Well hopefully it's like crafting characters for anything else. Um but I, I think I think it's it it's something that other like quote unquote literary fiction authors should should keep an eye on. Um if they're if there's something they're working on that might appeal to that audience. Okay. You know, you look at something like uh like Jill Lepore's Wonder Woman book and like she could probably Move a lot of units at, at Comic Cons. Oh
0: yeah, and get into a lot of arguments too. But
1: oh yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah.
0: Who's who's <laughs> counting? Um, yeah, I, I I mean I think your book is definitely a very special case. But um, you know, would, this kind of personal interaction is definitely becoming more of of the the transactional nature of the fan and creator. Relationship in a lot of ways, so um, yeah, it's it's okay. happen- happening more and more. Well, uh, listen, I think you did a great job actually with creating fantasy characters in your book. I mean, <laughs> just to you know, it, it's it's so imaginative, and you know, even though you're taking kind of you know things like the X Files and and Alan Moore, and you're kind of spinning your own versions of them, but but you kind of create this. I would compare it a little bit to Wimbledon Green. I don't know if you've ever read that book by Seth yeah you know where he creates this entire alternate comics industry and you do that in a hundred thousand worlds and um it's to me it was very entertaining to read and and uh also it's a very uh evocative novel about a woman and her son and their relationship and um storytelling and there's a lot going on in it so uh yes Heidi gives it a thumbs up um So uh, anyway, well, well. Listen, I'm going to let you get back because I know you have a, a book reading to do. But uh, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on More to Come.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. All right, take care, and as always, there will be more to come.